You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Thursday to you. It's time to tackle the tough questions when it comes to the Buffalo Bills secondary entering the 2021 season. And we've got some good stuff to get into here today on the podcast. I'm going to kind of split it up into three different segments. First, a couple initial thoughts that I want to share. Then I'm going to get into the tough questions that you guys sent in regarding cornerbacks. And then the last segment will be about safeties and the tough questions that you guys sent in regarding that position group. So here's what I want to start with, and it's the question that looms large on my head entering this season regarding the Bills' cornerbacks, and it's the contract situation. Obviously, Tredavious White is locked up long-term, but Taron Johnson, Levi Wallace, and Saran Neal are all set to have their contracts expire after the season. And all three of those players have been fixtures for the Bills in the cornerback room for multiple seasons, really since 2018. Levi Wallace has been the primary starter opposite of Trey White. Taron Johnson has been the primary starting slot corner, a position that is definitely a starter on the team in my mind because the Bills are in nickel nearly every single play on defense. And Taron Johnson's a slot corner. And then Saran Neal doesn't really help the team on defense, but He's been a critical member of the special teams unit for multiple seasons now where he's the gunner, he's a vice, he's important on kick coverage, four-phase special teamer that does a really good job. And so all of these players are in contract seasons. So what I want to do is look at some comparable deals and get an idea for what it would cost for the Bills to bring these players back and then talk about some of these young players on the roster that Make this an interesting conversation. So let's start with Teron Johnson. When I searched for comparable contracts or similar type players and what they got, four names came to mind for me. Bryce Callahan with the Denver Broncos, he signed a two-year, $12 million deal. Mike Hilton, he just signed a deal with the Cincinnati Bengals, four years, $24 million. And then these next two are really the two that I think are most similar to Teron Johnson. Troy Hill, just signed with Cleveland, two years, $9 million. And then Cam Sutton, to stay in Pittsburgh, signed for two years, $9 million. I think in a lot of ways, that's the parameters. That's the comparable deals that the Bills can look to and that we can look to right now for the Taron Johnson market. So around $4.5 million per season average annual value, in my mind, to bring back to Ron Johnson. So I'm thinking a two-year, $10 million contract or something very similar is what keeps him in Buffalo beyond this season. As for Levi Wallace, who came back to the Bills on a one-year, $1.75 million deal, these are the comparable contracts that came to mind or comparable players that recently signed a deal that are interesting to me. Terrence Marshall with the Houston Texans, two years, $6.5 million. Akello Witherspoon, he signed with the Seattle Seahawks, one year, $4 million. Jordan Lewis, 
stayed in Dallas on a three-year, $13.5 million deal. And then Emmanuel Mosley with San Francisco, he signed for two years, $9.3 million. Those are pretty clean comparables in my mind, all four of them. I would I would expect a deal very much like the one we talked about for Taron Johnson, something around four to $5 million a season. And quite honestly, I'm surprised Wallace didn't get that this offseason. And maybe he did, but he wanted to come back to Buffalo and knew that signing a deal in the one-year, $2 million range was what he would have to sign to come back and really have a chance to be the starter opposite of Tredavious White again. So to bring back Wallace and Johnson, the Bills will probably need to have four, five, six, seven million million in available cap space to commit to those contracts, of course, depending on how the deals are structured. But if they're not back, the Bills have to have somebody step in and play opposite of Tredavious White and be a starting slot corner and be on the field nearly every defensive snap. Which brings us to an interesting conversation about some of these young cornerbacks on the roster. Of course, Dane Jackson, who flashed as a rookie, seventh round pick, he's back and you know he's in the mix to unseat Levi Wallace right now. Well, if that happens and he plays well, this becomes an easier conversation to have. But I think the Bills are very much committed to Levi Wallace opposite of Tredavious White, and we'll get into that more later in the podcast. They also have a draft pick from this year, a rookie out of Wisconsin, Rashard Wild Goose. He's a guy that I think has inside and outside flexibility, an aggressive player, pretty decent athlete, um, needs more reps for sure. You have a couple of undrafted free agents that are interesting. Elijah Griffin out of USC, Nick McLeod from Notre Dame. And then, of course, Cam Lewis, who's been part of the system for a few years now and even took the job from Taron Johnson last year, right? I mean, Johnson was benched and Cam Lewis was placed into the starting lineup. And then Cam Lewis got hurt and Taron Johnson came back in and wound up playing pretty well down the stretch. But we can't forget that that happened last year. So you have some young players that are pretty much unproven, but the reality is we could see some shakeup here when it comes to this Bills cornerback room going into next season. The other guy that I mentioned is Saran Neal. And as we all know, he doesn't really help the team defensively, but a core special teams player. And we've seen the Bills keep core special teams players around. Guys that really don't help on defense or offense, but exist only for teams, whether that's Taiwan Jones or Tyler Medikavich. This is not something that the Bills are afraid to do. And so if they want to bring back Saran Neal on that type of a contract, I'm looking for comparables across the NFL. And, you know, Tyler Medikavich on a two-year, $7 million deal with the Bills right now. Matthew Slater in New England, he's on a two-year, $5.3 million deal. Now, I don't think Saran Neal is to that level, and when you look at those deals, you have to look at Matikiewicz's deal and wonder why the Bills are paying him so much when Slater, who's for sure been the best special teams player in the NFL for a long time now, is on a two-year, $5.3 million deal. Why on earth are the Bills paying more than that for Matikiewicz? That's a question for Brandon Bean. But I think there's a chance they're going to want him back. I mean, obviously, there is some familiarity in the system, but he's a proven special teams player for you. So I'm thinking that's going to be somewhere in the range of two years, $4 million to bring back Saran Neal if they want to do that. 
But all that makes it so much more interesting to watch these young cornerbacks this preseason and how important it's going to be to watch Wild Goose and Griffin and Jackson and McLeod and Cam Lewis to see if these guys can play. And then you have to figure out what to do from there. You can't roster all of those guys. You might not even be able to roster any of them. But can you keep them on the practice squad? How do you... What's the plan, right? You got to have a plan for these guys because ideally at least a couple of them wind up being key depth or maybe even a starter next year in Dane Jackson or can one of them emerge as the starting slot corner? Are you comfortable going into next season with an unproven commodity at slot because you have to let Teron Johnson walk? I mean, these are the questions that I'm really thinking about with this cornerback room. Then as you shift to safety, I don't think we really have any questions about Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. We'll talk about them a little bit later on in the podcast, but the safety depth is very interesting to me where Dean Marlowe is no longer here, and he was with Sean McDermott for like six seasons, and now he's in Detroit, and maybe he'll have a chance to be a starter for them, and that was what he was looking for perhaps. But knowing that you had that guy in case Poyer or Hyde went down was really nice to have. And now the Bills have very much unproven depth behind Poyer and Hyde. Jaquan Johnson's been around for a couple of seasons, but I don't really project him as a desirable player to have on your defense on the field given his size and athletic limitations. I think he's a good special teams player, but I'd keep it at that. You have Josh Thomas and a draft pick from this past year, DeMar Hamlin, who I think has a chance to, in time, become a player that you look at maybe through the same lens that you did Dean Marlowe, but he has a lot to prove considering he's a rookie. This episode is brought to you by rockauto.com, a family business that's been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your pocket. Save time and money when you use rockauto.com. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. All right, let's get into your tough questions. First one comes from Edgar. Hi, Joe. Whenever someone talks about elite cornerbacks, Tredavious White is always in the conversation. Truth be told, of these elite cornerbacks, the one with the least amount of elite physical traits is Tredavious White especially in terms of speed and man-to-man coverage ability. This makes me wonder if not having the elite physical traits will help Trey age better or worse. Do any other players come to mind as an example of someone with similar physical traits to those of White who had an illustrious career? So first, let me answer the question about how he's going to age given a very modest athletic profile. The thing about Tredavious White is he's exceptionally smart. His concept recognition is elite. 
his ability to anticipate routes because he understands alignment and splits and route stems and route combinations and then get into position to take receivers off the menu because he knows what's coming and he can cap the route, I mean, is absolutely exceptional. And so before you even talk about what he offers physically, it's what he offers mentally that makes Tredavious White an exceptional, exceptional cornerback. And I've heard Richard Sherman say this on a podcast before. He said, you can have 4-3 speed and get burnt, and you can have 4-5-5 speed and you can get burnt. You have to have it between the ears first. And I'll tell you what, Tredavious White might be the smartest cornerback in the entire NFL. So the good news is when you talk about why Tredavious White wins, he isn't reliant on physical ability in terms of athleticism. He's a fine athlete. He's just not a great athlete for the position. So first and foremost, why he's effective doesn't really have much to do with the athleticism. Now, that does become concerning because if that declines and when that declines, you know, the between the ears will help a lot and he'll only get smarter in the game. But at a certain point, you still have to be able to plant your foot in the dirt and drive on a route or flip your hips and transition and stay leveraged over top of routes. Like there is a physical component to the position. So when that starts to deteriorate, you have to hope that White makes up for that in an increased level of football intelligence. Now, the second part of your question was about, can I think of some examples of cornerbacks that have you know, similar traits to Tredavious White that had illustrious careers? And three came to mind pretty quickly. Number one is Joe Hayden. And in fact, if you go to mockdraftables.com, which is a website that talks about athletic testing and percentiles and gives you comparables in terms of players that match athletically with the one that you're looking at, the number two match for Joe Hayden is Tredavious White. And some numbers that I want to bring to your attention on Joe Hayden are a 4.52 40-yard dash, which is the 37th percentile, 35-inch vertical, which is a 37th percentile test, a 4.34 short shuttle, which is the 12th percentile, and a 6.94 three-cone, which is the 53rd percentile. And Joe Hayden's been a good player in the NFL for a long time, and he continues to have good seasons. So that is one that you should cling to if you have concern about this. The next one that I'll mention is Xavier Howard with the Miami Dolphins. He's a pretty bad tester. A 4.58 40-yard dash, that's the 18th percentile. 33-inch vertical jump, that's the 13th percentile. 122-inch broad jump, that's 51st percentile. 7.18 three-cone, that's the 10th percentile. And a 4.15 short shuttle, that's the 56th percentile. The last player that I'll mention is Josh Norman. And you can debate whether or not Josh Norman had an illustrious career, but I think for about a three- or four-year stretch, he performed pretty well. But for the most part, his career has been a little bit more disappointing. But his athletic profile, a 4.66 40-yard dash, which is the third percentile, 33-inch vertical jump, 13th percentile, 709 three-cone, 21st percentile, and a 4.23 short shuttle, 36th percentile. The next one today comes from Luke, who says, 
For my DB take, I think Levi Wallace is in very little danger of losing his starting job, even from fan favorite Dane Jackson. And I'll be honest with you, I agree with you. Go back and listen to my Levi Wallace pod on June 1st, where I really dug into breaking down Levi Wallace and his role and where he wins and his backstory and how much the Bills like him. And and I happen to believe that he's going to be the starter again opposite of Trey White. I could be wrong. Dane Jackson could just be better than him and win the job, but I think it's going to take a lot for that to happen. So Luke does have a question. He said, my question pertains more to the nickel position. I know recency bias skews heavily towards Taron Johnson's late and postseason heroics, but many seem to forget he was actually benched earlier in the season. My question is, do you see any of the recent late rounders, Jackson, Wild Goose, or the UDFAs, Griffin or McLeod, challenging for that spot at all? So we talked about this just a little bit in the opening. I don't think it happens this year. I think that Taron Johnson is comfortably the Bills' starting slot corner in 2021. He's got familiarity in the system. He bounced back in a big way after his benching last year. He's been the starter since 2018 as a rookie. And I think that when you look at the entire picture of the defensive back seven, Milano, Edmonds, Johnson, Wallace, White, Poyer, Hyde, they've all been together since 2018 and a lot of them since 2017. And I think the Bills are very much counting on that continuity and that familiarity with each other to lead to a bounce back season for the defense this year. And it's not like the Bills defense was that bad last year. It's 14th in the NFL and it was ninth in yards per attempt in terms of passing attempts against their defense. I mean, it wasn't awful. So healthy Milano and that continuity should lead to a really solid and sound back seven in terms of coverage for the Buffalo Bills. And I don't think that they're going to be willing to sacrifice that because they want to get a look at Dane Jackson or Richard Wild Goose as the starting slot corner or even Cam Lewis. One thing I do want to point out about Teron Johnson, and I've found opportunities throughout this series to bring this up, it's the missed tackles. And Teron Johnson, just like Matt Milano, has been victimed to way too many missed tackles. 14.7% missed tackle rate for his career. It's too high. Dude's got to cut that in half. And when you are a slot corner, there's a lot more on your plate in terms of defending the run and fitting the run. You're closer to the action. There's more on your plate in terms of fitting the run. When that side of the formation is closed, sometimes you have to be a true weak side linebacker. So he's got to get that tightened up. Too many missed tackles out of Teron Johnson. 14.7% for his career. Now, I think the Bills would love to see something they'd like from one of these young players. Maybe that's Wild Goose. But I think this is Teron Johnson's job to lose. Alex says, like many Bills fans, I really liked what I saw out of Dane Jackson last year and the limited play time he got. I remember against Arizona, there was a play in the red zone where he was matched up against DeAndre Hopkins and was able to stop Hopkins from getting free and making a play on the ball in the end zone. That really impressed me. I don't think Levi Wallace is capable of making a play like that against arguably the best wide receiver in the game. So my question is, why do you think McDermott favors Wallace? 
Is it because Wallace knows the system better or has been here longer? Or is there something negative about Jackson's play compared to Wallace's play that I'm missing? And what do you think the chances are of Jackson taking Wallace's starting spot this year? So again, I want to point you back to my June 1 podcast on Levi Wallace where I really, really broke this down. And I'll give you the cliff notes here in just a moment. But a couple of things that I want to say before I get to those cliff notes. Number one, Wallace has been the primary starter for a while now. There is consistency over a longer period of time from Levi Wallace when you compare it to Dane Jackson, who played 193 snaps last year. And for some of those exciting moments that Jackson had, whether it was some physical tackles in the run game, the interception, some pass breakups, one that you mentioned against DeAndre Hopkins. I think he had another against DK Metcalf. Jackson gave up a lot too. In 193 snaps, he was targeted in coverage 17 times, gave up 12 completions, which is a completion percentage against his coverage of 70.6 for 145 yards, two touchdowns, did have an interception and four pass breakups, but that results in a passer rating of 111.2 against his coverage. So for the highlight plays that we are clinging to, the overall results of his coverage weren't that great. Levi Wallace had much better coverage statistics than Dane Jackson did. And Dane Jackson is an aggressive player. I like the way he plays the edge, the mentality. I think he has a chance to become a starter in the NFL. But I'm not going to act like we've seen enough to say confidently that he's the guy over Levi Wallace, especially when you now go to my cliff notes on Levi Wallace, where I want to bring up some numbers here that really do paint a picture about Wallace and his consistency. First of all, he had a 3.1% missed tackle rate in 2020. That was by far the best rate on the Buffalo Bills team last year among defenders that played at least 700 snaps. Jordan Poyer was number two with a missed tackle rate of 9.9%. I repeat, Levi Wallace at 3.1%. Trey White was 13.3%. He's an exceptional tackler. That matters, and that's important for the Bills in that cornerback spot. When it comes to the landscape of the entire NFL, Levi Wallace was second best in the NFL amongst cornerbacks that played at least 700 snaps when it comes to missed tackle rates. In 2020, 70% of Levi Wallace's reps in coverage were in zone coverage, 30% in man. When Levi was in man coverage, he was targeted 33 times, gave up 16 completions, which is a completion percentage of 48.5% against his coverage, 217 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and a passer rating against his coverage of 77.5. That was by far the best passer rating against his coverage on the team in man coverage last year. Trey White was at 99 in 31 targets. Taron Johnson, 107.9 in 30 targets. Levi Wallace, 77.5 on 33 targets. So I know that the assignments are different, but Levi Wallace actually fared very well in man coverage last year. In zone coverage, he was also terrific. Targeted 31 times, gave up 21 completions, 67.7% completion percentage against his coverage, 243 yards, no touchdowns, an interception, and a passer rating against his coverage in zone coverage of 77.8. Trey White, 85.7 on 35 targets. Taron Johnson, 97.4 on 73 targets. Again, for Levi, 
it was a passer rating of 77.8 on 31 targets. Again, leaps and bounds, the best coverage statistics. His total passer rating against his coverage last year, 2020, was 79.4. That was 19th best among cornerbacks in the NFL that played at least 160 snaps in coverage. He gave up a completion percentage of 55.9 when he was targeted, which was 10th best in the NFL. He missed four games in 2020. Tennessee, Kansas City, the second Jets game, and Arizona. Without him in the lineup, the Bills were 1-3. With him in the lineup, they were 14-1, with the only loss coming to Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. And I know that those wins aren't correlative to Levi Wallace being in the lineup, but the Bills only lost four games last year, and three of the games they lost, Levi Wallace wasn't on the field. But here's some additional stats. They gave up 27.5 points per game without Wallace on the field, including only 10 to the hapless Jets being factored in. So against Kansas City and Tennessee and Arizona, the Bills gave up some considerable points, 27.5 points per game, and that includes that Jets game being factored in. When Wallace was in the lineup, the Bills gave up 22 points per game. 22 points per game would be seventh best in the NFL last year. I mean, Levi Wallace matters for this defense. And Levi Wallace has been the primary starter opposite of Tredavious White for the Bills in every season since 2018. In 2018, the Bills had the number one pass defense. In 2019, they had the number four pass defense. And in 2020, they had the number 13 pass defense in the NFL. And maybe you don't care about raw data. How about yards per attempt, net yards per attempt? In 2018, the Bills were third. In 2019, the Bills were third. And in 2020, the Bills were ninth. The Bills have had very, very, very good pass defenses with Levi Wallace as the primary starter opposite of Tredavious White. He's not as bad as you think he is. In fact, in so many different metrics, he's the best corner on the team. And again, I understand that that doesn't factor in matchups and that Tredavious White has tougher assignments than Levi Wallace, but Wallace is more than holding his own in his role as the Bills' second cornerback. And he's wired the right way, and late Leslie Frazier loves him, and Sean McDermott loves him. And so I just want to be honest about the team's perception and how he's fared as the Bills' CB2. I don't think this is as dire as so many people have made it out to be, including me, right? Like, I have been on this train of the Bills making an investment on a CB2 and you know, drafting one early and all this type of stuff. And I, and I still kind of wish they would because I want a more dynamic player opposite of Trey White. But I think in that process, we've convinced ourselves that Levi Wallace is a bad football player, and he's not. He's just not. And so the Bills have had a lot of success with him as the starting corner opposite of Tredavious White, and I don't think that they're eager to push him aside and let Dane Jackson, who has a very limited sample size, and in that sample size, he seeded quite a bit, right? We can't lose sight of that and and just hand over these jobs because I think the Bills are going to value that continuity, and they should because Levi Wallace has fared pretty well opposite of Tredavious White. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and the UFC. 
Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit in the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code Locked On. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's get to a couple of safety questions here. First one comes from Ryan, who says, My question is about the succession plan at the safety position. I feel like Bean struck gold when he plucked Hyde and Poyer off the free agent pile, but what happens when it's time to replace one or both of them? Will it take two high draft picks? Does Bean scour free agency for aging cornerbacks that we convert to safety? Does Hamlin have the athleticism to eventually take over one of the spots? First things first, I do want to clarify real quick that Brandon Bean is not responsible for signing Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde. Uh, Bean was hired after the draft, and Sean McDermott was making the personnel decisions, and he gets the credit for signing Hyde and Poyer. Now, I do think it is really smart to be mindful of this succession plan at safety. It's an important spot for this defense. A big reason why the Bills' defense has been so successful is the play of Hyde and Poyer. Now, there is some good news. Poyer is signed through 2022, and Hyde is signed through 2023. But I'm guessing sometime in the next two to three seasons, the Hyde and Poyer tandem is going to be no more. Here's the good news also. Sean McDermott has a really long history of developing safeties and developing safeties that weren't necessarily first-round picks or high-profile free agents. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are that. Kurt Coleman, Mike Mitchell, Quentin McKell. I mean, McDermott gets it done with these safeties. So I know it's the most boring answer an analyst can give you regarding a football team, but I think with the safety position, it's one that I just trust Sean McDermott to figure out. Now, DeMar Hamlin does have a chance to be a developmental starter. He's an average athlete. You mentioned athleticism as one of the traits, and and if he has that to take over, I think he's got average athleticism. Um, But he's a player that the Bills should be looking at over the next season or two to get a feel for if he can be a starter in 2023 if Jordan Poyer's last season is in 2022. But one thing about safeties is they always seem to be available. There always seems to be some good veteran safeties that you can sign. And, um, you know, I think the Bills need to continue to make modest investments at the position to start getting a feel for some guys that when it does come time for the Poyer and Hyde tandem to end, you have some guys waiting in the wings. But ultimately, I do feel like this is something that Sean McDermott can get right. Bob says, thinking about the Bills signing Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer a few years ago, no one could have known what incredible players they would turn out to be. I believe they were signed before Brandon Bean came on the scene. I could be wrong about that. How incredible is it that the Bills hit on both of these two signings of players with potential but no real proven results? At the time, players like Hyde and Poyer were signed all the time by teams and never amounted to much. Can you think of any other recent examples of great signings like this based on potential that a team saw in a player, and how likely it is do you think the Bills will be able to do that again at the safety or any position? So as for some players that have similar arcs to Poyer and Hyde, I've got four names for you that I came up with. 
The first one is Shaquille Barrett. He had 14 sacks spread across four seasons in Denver before coming over to Tampa Bay. And over the last two seasons in Tampa Bay, he has 27 and a half sacks. How about Darren Waller? His first three seasons in the league, he caught 12 passes. And now he's become a star tight end for the Vegas Raiders, has 197 catches over the last two seasons. Danico Autry, he was a rotational player for the Raiders in 2014, 15, 16, and 17. And then he has become a stud for the Colts over the last three seasons and then just signed a nice deal with the Tennessee Titans to help their defensive line. And then shout out to Bruce Nolan for coming up with this one, Demario Davis, who was on the Jets. The Jets let him walk in free agency. He went to Cleveland, went back to the Jets, and he has since come to the New Orleans Saints, and he's an absolute superstar. Top five linebacker in the game, no doubt about it. So there's some other examples for you. As for if the Bills can do this again, I would say yes, because look at players like Daryl Williams. Look at John Feliciano, and I think John Feliciano is pretty average, but a guy without much experience winds up being a starter for them and a player that they seem to like. How about Cole Beasley? So I think this has been the strength of Brandon Bean, or one of his strengths is being able to find big-time contributors on fairly modest free agent deals. And so I do have confidence that this can continue. All right, folks, that's it. We tackled your tough questions, and I dumped a bunch of my thoughts about the Bills' secondary on this podcast. I certainly hope that you enjoyed it. Got another podcast coming for you tomorrow where I'm going to spend some time stacking up the Bills against the other AFC contenders and talking about some of the challenges that each of them pose for the Bills as we gear up for the 2021 NFL season. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.